Part 3 Mueller Knox Chapter 29 4.42 a.m. Sunday, March 18, 2018 Bardstown Road, Louisville, Kentucky Two years later Hindsight isn't always 20-20. Perspective is key, and mine was altered after a night of boozing as I walked up to my new apartment building. I'd been out celebrating my Irish heritage by drinking car bombs and green beer. It was closing in on 5 a.m., and a misting rain was falling. It was the type of misting rain that you walk in without realizing you're wet until you get into a dry place. I was singing as I stumbled alone. Rain drop, drop top, Cookie Monster loves to hotbox. Shutting my left eye to see out of my right and avoid double vision, my walk had a cattywampus. It had been a long night, but it had been a really long two years for the country. Well, not for the idiots who were happy a demagogue was in the Oval. Collectively, the sane folks were suffering from WTF syndrome every single day. Daily we all said, what the fuck? I was trying my damnedest to tune it all out. If I never attended another political rally for the rest of my life, I wouldn't be upset. I avoided the topic of Trump and Trumpies if I could, I couldn't, but I steered clear of political conversations and that helped. The dumb had prevailed, and now they were entitled about their man. Trumpies felt entitled because they had predicted the establishment takeover despite being told Trump didn't have a shot at winning. Now, they all had Dunning-Kruger, and wanted to tell the rest of the world how smart they were. They had banded together to beat Hillary, and they were in charge. The election had flipped the entire country on its ass and backwards in time. Science didn't matter, because the pollsters were wrong. Black lives didn't matter because Trump said so, and he was in charge now. That's how these folks thought, anyway. They loved the Trumpster as if he was king. He was their king, and since he was the sitting president, he was in a sense, everyone's king. He was living like one too. The king was running up illustrious bills on taxpayers, giving tax breaks to all his rich friends, and the working class, who would be paying these taxes, freaking loved him. It was the death of America. Nero fiddled, Trump golfed. The man was both ubiquitous and inexorable. And I tuned the F out. St. Patty's Day arrived so I ran amok, wildy. It was over now, and I was eager to saw logs on my new king size. As I got closer to my new apartment building, I noticed a man with an assault rifle. My mind was so discombobulated, I didn't even stop walking. Fight or flight and I just kept walking like a drunk moron. I saw the man, saw the gun, and didn't comprehend. The lone gun-toting man turned into three, and I walked up on three men, they were packing to the max, and dressed in black with LPD printed across their backs. They were about to raid some unlucky fool in my building, and pulling on the door as if they just pulled hard enough, it would open. The Federales, I exclaimed, and I began singing another tune. The Federales want to see me dead, that's why I got two Rottweilers by my bed, I feed them lead. I held up my fob. You gotta use a magic fob to get inside. I put it up to the sensor and a loud buzzing rang out as the door unlocked. The cop in front, who had been tugging at the door unsuccessfully, now opened it. None of them thanked me as they went inside. I could only imagine who they were about to arrest, and I hoped it was the cunt on the second floor with the loud rat dogs. I wouldn't be that lucky, though. It was probably the middle-aged guy, Joe and his girlfriend in 2C. They were drug addicts bringing down the value of the whole place. The three amigos stopped once inside, and turned to me. Which apartment are you going into, sir? I am not going into 2C, I informed them because I knew where they were going. 
2C, okay, you are clear. Please go into your apartment, lock the door, and do not come outside. I wasn't going to 2C, but these guys had donut crumbs in their ears. Shit, if I didn't help them inside with my fob, they would still be outside pulling on a push door. I headed up the stairs, and watched them hit the elevator button. I had to walk four flights up, but it was better than riding with the bozos. They might smell the chronic on my clothes, or accidentally shoot their weapon into my back. I raced up the stairs, and my adrenaline was hot. There was about to be a major bust, someone was going to get a rude morning awakening, and I could film the whole thing on my new Sony handheld camera. I ran and grabbed it, but I had to make a pit stop since the beer was coming out. I heard something on my floor and thought, maybe it's not the guy in 2C and it is Bruce up here. The closer I got to my door, the louder the voices got, so I knew they were here to arrest Bruce. I put my eye up to the peephole, and the whole door came down on top of me. Chapter 30 Bobby Three Sticks The local boy screwed the pooch. I can only wish I was conscious and heard how it all went down. The three little pigs weren't alone when I came to my senses. My apartment was crawling with la, and I sat, handcuffed, trying to remember what in the hell happened. They were scrambling around my place like hobos looking for loot and Bobby Three Sticks was yet to arrive. He was on his way, though, along with the local fed boys. A few of the local feds were on site as I woke up, and they were already searching for a person to point the finger at among the local boys. The Three Stooges and the rest of the local Louisville boys in blue thought they had jurisdiction and an arrest warrant. They didn't. The FBI did. I didn't know any of this at the time, and it didn't matter because, according to the FBI, I was a wanted man. I'd found out the details later. I'd never find out why Bobby himself was in the ville for the arrest of a peon. I was a tiny guppy amongst the sharks he should be hunting. The speculation ran rampant, he was in town to have his heart looked at, his wife was playing in a women's league golf tourney, or his brother lived in Kentucky. Nobody knew, and I never found out. It might show that he didn't know what the hell was going on with the entire case, I will leave that up to others to decide. It is funny how nothing came of it all, though. I sat up and watched the changing of the guard happening in real time. I didn't know it at the time, but the local boys were running around like chickens trying to exit the scene and find a fall guy. The rooster was coming to roost, and he was the head of the freaking FBI they didn't want to be around when the consequences of their actions came calling. The big cock stepped out of the elevator, and it was all eyes on him. I heard a pin drop as soon as he stepped off. Bobby Three Sticks was taller in person, but his presence cooled the room. I felt it, and I didn't even know who it was at the time. The skin on his face stretched over his bones, making him look like a comic book detective might have drawn in the fifties. He was lanky like Abraham Lincoln and carried himself with stoic poise. Flanking him were two men, one about his size, and the other a NFL linebacker-sized black dude, and they were giving him the rundown of the situation. He stopped walking, so they stopped. His eyes scanned the scene of local boys scrambling. He turned to the linebacker and asked him, an ambulance, why the hell do we need an ambulance? It is from the local situation, I was trying to relay it in, some sort of jurisdiction issue, and sir, I guess the local boys went ahead and did a no-knock, the linebacker said. A no-knock? What kind of hillbilly stuff is going on? A no-knock warrant, has that been legal this century? Bobby stared at the linebacker man, cutting him down to the size of a dwarf. The huge man put his head down to respond, Yes, sir, it is legal in our commonwealth. 
a no-knock warrant, you might get somebody killed doing that backward, it isn't the 1800s, Bobby responded without listening. The linebacker was nervous. He nodded and then said in one breath, yes sir. So, what's the status? We have a local guy, he is, uh, the man was visibly nervous. The eyes were still on them, and he began to yell, where is Roberts? A voice shot back at him, Roberts is inside. Get him out here, stab. Another man approached and handed Bobby a few papers, and he read them while Roberts came out of my apartment. I'm Roberts, he said. The linebacker turned to Bobby and said, that's Roberts. Who the fuck is Roberts? Bobby was as frustrated as I was, and I had a squad of cops sniffing my boxers. Roberts, sir, this is Roberts. Roberts, this is. Roberts cut off the linebacker. Robert Mueller, I know who it is. Mr. Mueller, it is an honor. He stuck his hand out to shake it and began to act as if he had Bobby's poster on his wall at home. Bobby didn't have time for it, though. So? He asked. Bobby was a man of few words. Yes, sir, I wasn't on the scene, Roberts told him. So who was? The linebacker snapped. Welchie was here. Officer Chuck Welch. Okay, Bobby answered. Welchie. Welchie. They had their fall man in Welch, and he was moving slower than a peanut butter drip, so Roberts ran inside to find him. One minute, sir, Welchie. Finally, Welch stopped stealing my belongings, and he exited my apartment. He was fat and pale and dripping bullets of sweat. Unbeknownst to me, he was the cop who walked on top of my door while I was under it after they kicked it down while I was looking out the peephole. Welchie didn't have a clue as to how badly, collectively, the local boys had screwed up, and he didn't know that he was about to take the blame. Messing up an FBI investigation is one thing, but messing up an investigation led by Bobby Three Sticks was damn near career suicide. Welch stopped and almost saluted Bobby before he straightened up his sloppy uniform. His fat ass was too big to be a cop. He didn't say a word, and Bobby stared at his receding hairline before turning to the other man flanking him and asked, Who is this? Welch, sir, the man responded. I am Welch. What is going on? Why do I care? Bobby asked. Welch was ready to talk now, sir, we broke down the door as soon as we arrived. We were serving the warrant, your warrant, but before we could ID the man, he was under the door. I was the one who walked on top of the door with him under it. Why in the hell did you do that? Blood was drying on my face, and I vaguely remembered this flat-footed, fat ass on top of the door while I was under it. Sir, we didn't know he was behind the door, he was looking at the peephole or right near it when it came down. As it all flashed back to my memory, I decided it was an excellent time to have my voice heard. That dumbass walked on top of the door with me under it. They didn't even knock before they kicked the shit down, there was no warning at all. Officer Numnut stood on top of the door with me under it and tell us, how much do you weigh? 300 pounds? Does the LPD not have a weight limit? Shut him up, Welch yelled out, but Bobby put his hand up to tell him to shut up. Did you identify yourself? Bobby asked. Yeah, did you identify yourself? Welch yelled at me, but Bobby was staring at him. Not him, you. Did you knock and tell them you were with law enforcement? Me? No sir, we had a warrant, and we were doing a no-knock. A no-knock, 
What type of Wyatt Earp BS are you local boys practicing down here in Kentucky? Bobby wasn't looking for an answer, but Welch tried to give him one. The good kind, sir, we are practicing the good kind. Bobby approached me, ignoring Welch and his excuse. He asked me, are you Bush, Gunnar A. Bush? He stuck three fingers up with his ring finger down and asked me, is your head hurting? How many fingers do I have? The whole hallway was quiet, everyone was suddenly worried about my well-being, but five minutes earlier, they didn't give a fuck, and they wouldn't shut up. Gunner A. Bush, no, no, I'm Gunner B. Bush, I am heir to Bush Beans. I can show you a finger, I yelled back. I was tired of getting pushed around and stepped on, and I also didn't know who in the hell Bobby Three Sticks was at the time. I didn't collect baseball cards of my favorite police officers. I had no clue, he was just another asshole cop in a room full of asshole cops throwing my possessions around while looking for counterfeit money that was long gone. The legal money I had won from my Trump lottery bet was scattered around the city in banks. The tiny amount of cash in my apartment was legally obtained. My words jolted Bobby, and not because they were superb lines. If I was given the chance again, I would come up with something clever to say at these assholes. No, Bobby was confused because he'd never had anyone talk smack to him before. He wasn't a low-grade security cop, he was the top dog in law enforcement, and he likely never did these types of raids. The fact that he was in the ville meant I was in deep doo-doo. He is drunk, sir, really stinking drunk, we had a unit tailing him, Agent Jones, and he was at the bar yesterday morning before anyone else. He might have spent all day and night there. I'm Irish, I was celebrating my heritage. You guys should see the amount of liquor we found inside his place. More empty bottles than a dumpster behind a bar, Welchie was quick to add. Get this guy to the hospital, and then bring him back over too, where in the hell is the... Sycamore Street, someone yelled out. Yeah, Sycamore Street, and I want to see if the Russians call you Gunner A. Bush or Comrade Bush. Bobby was pissed. He stormed into my apartment to see the mounds of liquor bottles, and that was my whole encounter with him. I was taken downstairs and put into an unmarked with Agent Jones and Officer Welch rode with us. They took me to Kindred, I was examined by a sleeping ER doctor working with a spoon, and I got to have a real encounter with the law. Agent Jones left to get some food and Officer Welch stayed with me to ensure I wouldn't skedaddle. As soon as the doctor left the room, Officer Jones wanted his revenge, payback for my obese comment. He hadn't forgotten about it, and he reminded me with a punch to my gut. My jaw dropped, and I gasped for air. Punk-ass kid, you are a traitor to our country, he said it through his teeth, attempting to sound tough. A nurse entered, and he kept up the stern voice and said, Hands behind your back, you are going to federal prison, dirtbag. Dirtbag, you're the one with that stank-ass breath. Can you get this guy a tic-tac? I asked the nurse. Shut up, Bush, or do the Russians call you comrade? He was butchering Bobby's line. Sir, the doctor said he is free to go, the nurse told Welch, and she was talking with a hint of sexiness. It was just luck, she had a fetish for a man in uniform or some shit. He flipped me down, cuffed me, and stood me up. He was trying to impress this ugly broad. If I end up a suicide with two gunshots to the back of the head, you remember I am not suicidal, I yelled out. Shove it up your pie hole, he tightened the cuff so tight I lost circulation. He's a bad guy huh? The nurse asked as Welch walked me out of the room. 
We stopped before leaving, and Welch said, I need to recheck him and make sure he didn't steal anything when the doctor looked him over. He kicked my legs open, slammed my head into the wall so hard the drywall cracked and began to frisk me. Yeah, I stole the stethoscope. Shut your pie hole, he said, talking through his teeth again. This is a big catch for us boys in Jefferson County and Louisville law enforcement, he is wanted for serious crimes against the country. Oh my goodness, the nurse cried. What the heck, crimes against our country. They had the wrong person. From the jump, I figured the cops were arresting me for counterfeiting money and maybe credit card fraud. We gotta go, ma'am, Welch said in his macho voice. Let's go, bush beans, he said to me. He marched me out of the room, down a hall, and into a waiting room area that was empty besides an aquarium. Exiting the ER into the parking lot, that was blocked by clouds and the rain's pace had picked up, it still wasn't very hard, though. The parking lot was desolate besides an ambulance driver burning a smoke. Welchie led me with his hand on my back, he shoved me right and then left, and then back right and then left. He turned me completely around in a 180, stopped, and moved me in a 180 the other way. I was dizzy, so I snapped, are we dancing here or what? I said to shove it, he said as he again spun me around. My body was getting whiplash from his movements, and he turned me one more time before stopping right in the middle of the road that was covered. Welch here at the hospital, I need to find Agent Jones, Jones left me at the hospital, and I need to contact him, over, he was speaking into the CB on his shoulder. Jones, left you at the hospital, over? Ah, we rode down here together, I'm a kindred, and I was with the no-knock, Bush, he was getting value-aided, but he has been discharged. I need to contact Jones, and he left to get some food, over. Value-aided? I didn't get evaluated at all, and you punched me and slammed me into the wall after the doctor left. I was screaming, but Welch jerked my hands, so I shut up. Jones isn't working tonight, over. Not Doug Jones, no I need to get in contact with Agent Jones from the FBI over. We will get you that information over. You guys couldn't go 15 minutes without a donut run in the middle of the shift, huh? You're pissing me off, Bush. He was pissed, and I was handcuffed, so I stopped talking. He was breathing hard and flustered. He wasn't the type of guy who handled challenging situations very well. He wouldn't be high on my list of ideal candidates to make rash decisions while holding a gun, but here he was. Well, do you mean Agent Jones with the Mueller stuff? Yes, over. He loosened my hands to think, and a car approached the hospital. It was coming our way, and since he wasn't holding my back anymore, I moved to the curb nearest me. Being the numbnuts he is, Welch walked away from me back towards the hospital. The car had its lights right on us, but it wasn't slowing down, so I sped up my pace. I glanced back at Welch as he looked at me and realized we were heading in opposite directions. Wanting to save any grace I could, I yelled out, I'm not leaving. But with the car approaching, the rain, and Welch not being able to hear, all he heard was, I'm leaving. His cop training kicked in, or some shit, and he turned to sprint back towards me. The car was slowing down, so I did too, but Welch didn't. He leapt into me, hitting me shoulder first like an awkward fat lineman might, and I didn't even have hands in front of me to brace my fall. I landed on my fucking face on the blacktop. All of 250 pounds of Welch was on top of me for the second time that morning. The headlights from the car were on both of us, shining brightly into my eyes, 
and I regained my composure as the driver's side door opened. Agent Jones stepped out of the vehicle with his fingers sticky from Clifton's donuts, but they were placed on the trigger of his weapon, which was aimed at my noggin. What in the hell is going on here? He tried to run? He was trying to run? Agent Jones yelled. Welch flipped me over, and I didn't resist one iota. He was running? Agent Jones asked as he put his weapon away. No, yeah, no, Welchie finally responded. My body had been through more than a Joe Theismann playing the Giants. I was regaining my thoughts, however. Are you kidding me? Do you think I couldn't outrun you, you fat fuck? I yelled back. It doesn't matter, get him in the car, Jones yelled at us. We were creating a scene, nurses were staring out the window, and the ambulance driving was alert at us too. Welch threw me into the back of the car, and we sped off. 